Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Terrific Saturday to one and all. Welcome into the Zimmy Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. We've got a tremendous show for you today as Rich Hollenberg he does TV work for the Tampa Bay Rays. You may recall that he was on College Hoops Overtime Betting because he also does college basketball work for ESPN. He will be joining me in the second segment. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, so you guys tweet in a couple questions. And you know what? I've got some answers for you. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Met Felk asks this one. You can follow him on Twitter at Met A Falk. That is F-A-L-K. And he has at unit underscore 81. Would you ever look at the prop market? I know there's more tax, but there are some instances where, example, Hunjin Ryu had allowed over 2.5 earned runs in 12 starts, and I got him at minus 140 at under 2.5 runs for his starts, or Matthew Boyd at over 6.5 strikeouts in 5 straight starts and was minus 129 a couple days ago against the Kansas City Royals, or you could just bet an F5 under and everything like that. I do think that if you are dialed in on a lot of these individual players, there is certainly some money to be made. I'm one of those people, I just have enough time to be able to track all the sides and all the totals with handicapping every game, having a bet on every side, every total, and everything like that. I just don't have enough time to be able to try to unearth some of those props. And something else that you'll know with a lot of these props, most shops out there in Las Vegas do not have them. I feel like I can speak for a lot of people when I say this. I do think that it actually is a little bit more popular in New Jersey because 
Places like DraftKings, FanDuel, they've been doing daily fantasy for so long. They're probably offering more of these than, say, the books out here in Las Vegas. If it becomes a little bit more popular and a little bit more readily available, it is something I certainly would look at, but it is one of those things where also I only have enough hours in the day. But if this is something that you're looking at and you're looking at it heavily and you find yourself a couple good bets, I certainly do think that there's some money to be made. And then we also got this question from Super Forecaster. You can follow him on Twitter at KevyK. That is spelled K-E-V-V-Y underscore K-A-Y-E at Gene underscore D1. If you are going to bet the dog at Coors Field, why not grab the reverse run line? This is one of those things where it actually depends because you'll find with the Colorado Rockies, they play a couple more one-run games than you might expect. They have played, as a matter of fact, 14 one-run games ever since May 3rd. That is stunning. Over the course of about 40 days, so I think they played about 36 games in that stretch. It might have been 35, it might have been 36, but 14 of those games have been decided by one run. And we know this about run lines. You get less and less value as the total climbs higher and higher and higher. It would be very profitable if it would be a big difference. Like, say, instead of having the Colorado Rockies at plus 105, you'd get them at, like, plus 165 or something like that. But that's typically not the case because these totals are so high. You're only getting more like 35, 40 cents. And with how many one-run games the Rockies play, it is one of those cases where it may not be very profitable because we know this about the Rockies. It feels like their bullpen is selectively good and selectively bad. It all depends on the situation as well because with the San Diego Padres, they play a lot of close games as well because a lot of their games are closed out by guys like Craig Stamen and Kirby Yates and they hit a lot of solo home runs. So it all depends on the situation, but it's one of those things where I just can't blindly take the reverse run line whenever I better whenever I bet an underdog at Coors Field because I've actually been seeing with the Colorado Rockies lots of one-run games with them. So that is the Twitter mailbag for the day. Thank you so much for tweeting in those questions. And now let's take a little bit of a look back at yesterday, try to find some bettable trends, and try to become better handicappers. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. If you had the St. Louis Cardinals and the over on Thursday, I feel bad for you because none of your bets cash on a game in which the St. Louis Cardinals won by a count of 5-4. This was the suspended game that began in the bottom of the ninth. Jordan Hicks was able to get the save. As for the St. Louis Cardinals in the 10th inning of this one, Paul DeYoung was able to get a single on the New York Mets. Just essentially completed the gas canning that their bullpen had done. Edwin Diaz wound up pitching essentially a second inning for the team because he gave up the two runs in the ninth inning the day before. So that was just a little bit of a weird situation. But then the game that was actually played on Friday... It was once again the bullpen of the New York Mets blowing it. You just can't trust in this group to save your life. You just can't trust in this group at this point. The St. Louis Cardinals knock off the Mets by a count of 9-4. For the St. Louis Cardinals, Daniel Ponce de Leon should have probably been given a little bit longer of a leash than he did. Four nights pitch. He had four walks, but he only gave up one run. From there, the bullpen of the St. Louis Cardinals wasn't necessarily bad, but they gave up runs. Andrew Miller winds up giving up three runs without recording it out. Only one was earned, though, as there were a couple errors out there with the St. Louis Cardinals. And then you did have Tyler Webb giving up a run as well. But all in all, the Cardinals bullpen was able to do its job. And what else was doing its job? This team with the bats. As the New York Mets give up a combined four home runs, 
three of which were out of the bullpen. As for the St. Louis Cardinals, going deep, Dexter Fowler, his sixth home run of the year. Jose Martinez, his fourth of the campaign. Colton Wong, his seventh. And then you also have Paul DeYoung going deep for his twelfth. As for the New York Mets, Steven Matz got hit around in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But Jersic Familia continues to be Spanish for blown save. He entered into this game in the eighth inning with the Mets up five to four. He gives up a four spot in the eighth inning. So good for him. And then Hector Santiago also gives up a run as the lone home run in the game for the New York Mets, Stephen Matz, his first of the year. Obviously, he was let down by the bullpen there. The Arizona Diamondbacks were just let down by bad pitching in this one as Max Scherzer gets another win. It looks like he's back on track. 7-3, the final for the Washington Nationals, who are all of a sudden playing a lot of overs, and it's because the bats are back for this team. Howie Kendrick, his 12th home run of the year, and Anthony Rendon is 15th as Robbie Ray had a bit of a blow-up start in this one. He went six innings, he gave up five runs, all of which were including those two home runs, and then Matt Adrese out of the bullpen gives up two runs while recording just two outs. I will say for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they were able to get to Scherzer for two home runs. Carson Kelly, his eighth home run of the year, Nick Mod his fifth as for Mad Max Scherzer. He winds up going seven innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were solo home runs. And then from there, the bullpen of the Washington Nationals gave up one run in two innings. For them, it's pretty good. Wander Suero still can't find the strike zone. He has a 635 ERA, and he gave up a run. But all in all, good showing there for the Washington Nationals. A very good showing for the Boston Red Sox as they just completely clobber the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 13-2. to In this one, the Red Sox scored a combined 11 runs between the 4th and 6th innings as they were just playing home run derby here. Brock Holt, his first home run of the year. J.D. Martinez goes deep twice for his 14th and 15th home runs of the year. Christian Vasquez, his 8th home run of the year. Jackie Bradley Jr., his 7th home run of the year. And Michael Chavis, his 12th as Eduardo Rodriguez. I've been noting how his fielding independent was better than his actual ERA. Terrific start in this one. Seven innings pitch. He gives up one run. Yeah, Josh Smith giving up a run out of the bullpen, but they were up 13-1 at that point. As for the Baltimore Orioles, Dre Boom Boom Mancini had a home run off of Mr. Rodriguez, his 15th of the year. That's a lone good thing that you could say about this team as they wound up having to give a start to Luis Ortiz. And he wound up going three and a third innings, giving up four runs. He now has a ERA of a 1080, and he gave up five walks as well. And then Dan Straley, in relief, didn't provide any relief. One and a third innings, he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned, including four home runs. He recorded four outs, and he gave up four home runs. His ERA now a 9-1-3. And then also coming out of the bullpen for this team was Josh Rogers. In four and a third innings, he gives up two runs, and that actually lowered his ERA to a 7.88. So the bullpen of the Orioles not looking good. A bullpen that looked even worse. How about that of the LA Angels? They wound up being up in this game by count of 4-0 going into the sixth inning. The bullpen from there gives up eight out of the nine runs. Andrew Heaney, actually a good start in this one. Five innings pitch, gives up just one run. But then from there, it was just a plethora of guys giving up runs out of the bullpen for the Angels. Luis Garcia records two outs, and he gives up three runs. Cody Allen records two outs. He gives up four runs. And you take a look at Ty Buttery. He wound up giving up a run as well. All in all, not too bad for him, though. But for the LA Angels, they were able to jump on Blake Snell early. They get three runs in the first two innings. Snell winds up only going three in the third innings, giving up four runs, three of which were earned. But then from there, the bullpen of the Rays, which has been good all year long, you had five different relievers combined to give up three hits and no earned runs in five and two-thirds innings. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, they only needed one home run in this one to get those runs. G-Man Choi, his eighth home run of the year. The Cleveland Indians just completely clocked the Detroit Tigers by a count of 13-4. to For the Windians, it was Leonis Martin going deep off of Matt Carpenter, his ninth home run of the year, and then Jake Bowers. 
hit for the cycle. This is a guy that's hitting 222. He had a home run in the eighth inning for his eighth home run of the year for the Cleveland Indians. Adam Pluko has been up and down. Winds up giving up three runs, two of which were earned in six innings. Nothing great, nothing awful. And then you also had one run given up out of the bullpen for an Indians bullpen, which has been great. That was by Josh Smith, but... Ryan Carpenter has to continue to be on your fade list. For the Detroit Tigers, he goes three innings, gives up eight runs, six of which were earned. Now, I will say that the Detroit Tigers were let down by errors. Of the 13 runs that they gave up, only seven were earned. Buck Farmer wound up going two innings. He gave up three runs, only one of which were earned. And Blaine Hardy, both the runs that he gave up, both unearned. As for the Detroit Tigers, your lone bright spots here, Brandon Dixon, he hits his seventh home run of the year, and Miguel Cabrera, his fourth of the year. But all in all, just a terrific game for the Cleveland Indians. A terrific game for the Pittsburgh Pirates as they select the Miami Marlins by a count of 11-0. Stephen Brault actually looking like a good pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He got into trouble giving up eight hits in six innings, but didn't surrender a single run. The Miami Marlins were atrocious. They leave 10 men on base. They had the bases loaded multiple times. They weren't able to cash in, but the Pirates were able to. As Jose Ozuna, his second home run of the year, and Kyle Moran, his seventh. As Trevor Richards takes a loss in this one, just not a good start for him. He has been having a bad year all around. Five innings pitch, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned. And then the bullpen of the Miami Marlins proceeds to give up an extra six runs. Jeff Brigham in three innings gives up three runs, and then... Jarlin Garcia gives up three runs in two innings of relief as well. So the Pittsburgh Pirates continue to play overs and they continue to get wins. The Texas Rangers, they continue to do a good job of being able to win games themselves. Once again, as an underdog, they wind up cashing. Jesse Chavez was the opener in this one. And he went a full three innings. He did not give up a single run, gave up only one hit. And then it was essentially a wholesale approach for this team as... Drew Smiley, who was a projected starter, wound up actually getting a three-inning save in this one. He only gave up one run. Perhaps he's a little bit better as a bullpen guy because going into this game, his ERA was an 840. Uh, Jesse Springs give an inning of relief as well. And for the Texas Rangers, Rudin Anderdor had the big hit of this game. He hits his eighth home run of the year. The Texas Rangers were able to jump out to a 2-0 lead early as Tyler Molly, I believe, is now 3-18. His team is in his last 21 starts. Might be 4-18, but things have not been going well for the Reds. He goes 4-3 innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. Ronnie Peralta also gives up three runs. He records his two outs in the process. And for the Cincinnati Reds, three out of the team's five hits came off the bat of Yasiel Puig. And Nick Senzel hits his sixth home run of the year. That's a bright sign, but the Cincinnati Reds bats certainly are not providing. The Atlanta Braves, though, are all sorts of hot. They are currently leading the league in regards to runs in the month of June. They haven't been playing too many unders recently, and they wind up getting down big in this game, but they wind up rallying to get a 9-8 win. At one point, they were down by a count of 7-2 in the bottom of the seventh inning, and then the Philadelphia Phillies just implode. Nick Pavetta was doing well until the seventh inning of this game. He goes six and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including the three home runs that the Atlanta Braves hit. Going deep for the Braves was Brian McCann, his sixth home run of the year, Josh Johnson, his tenth, and Freddie Freeman, his 19th home run of the year. But then the bullpen of the Philadelphia Phillies in essentially two innings give up a grand total of five runs. It was Jose Alvarez who gave up two runs while recording two outs, and Hector Neris, Winds up giving up three runs while recording just two outs himself. For the Philadelphia Phillies, they did have some good signs early in this game. Bryce Harper hits his 12th home run of the year. Scott Kingery, his 8th. And Reese Hoskins, his 15th. As for the Atlanta Braves, it was not a good goal, but for Max Freed, he has really 
been sinking ever since a very good start to the year. Now he's a 4-11 ERA. He gives up five runs in four and two-thirds innings, including two home runs. Then you add from there Josh Chomlin giving up a run of the bullpen and giving up a home run and Two runs, both of which were unearned in relief as well. Dan Winkler, he was hurt a little bit by a pair of errors, but the Atlanta Braves somehow, someway find a way to get the unlikely win there. It was not unlikely that the White Sox were able to knock off the New York Yankees as they just got off to a very good start in this one. Lucas Giolito gave up just his second home run in his last eight starts. That was by Luke Voigt providing the power. That was in the first inning. That was his 17th home run of the year, but that's all that could be spoken of for the New York Yankees as CC Sabathia. Got shelled in this one. He's got to be almost on your fade list at this point. Four and two-thirds innings. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned, including a home run. Being able to supply that power for the Chicago White Sox was Eloy Jimenez. He had a home run off of him, and then he had a home run off of Luis Sessa, his 10th and 11th home runs of the year. He's gotten hot, and Lucas Giolito continues to be the most profitable pitcher out there in baseball, and a Cy Young candidate. 10-1 record, six innings pitch. He just gives up that solo home run now as a 2.22 ERA. And then from there, the bullpen of the White Sox was good. They go a combined three innings. The one run that they gave up was unearned. So the White Sox just continue to roll with Lucas Giolito. The team that is not rolling but is rather roadkill, the Toronto Blue Jays. As they lose the Houston Astros by a count of 15-2. Aaron Sanchez, not a good start. Three innings pitch. He gives up eight runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. Sam Gavilio gives up two runs out there in the bullpen. You then had five additional runs given out of the bullpen, as well as Tim Meza winds up giving up four runs while recording a grand total of one out, and then Thomas Pannone winds up recording two outs while giving up one run himself. As for the Houston Astros, it was just a bunch of guys getting it going. Tony Kemp is fifth home run of the year. Alex Bregman is 19th home run of the year. Jordan Alvarez now has three home runs in essentially a week at the big leagues, and then Robinson Chirino is his 12th of the year. Garrett Cole wound up loading up the bases in the first inning, got out of that, and provided a good start. Ten punch outs in six innings, gave up two runs, both of which were earned, and then from there, they were able to actually get a three-inning save out of Rongelio Armentoros. I hope I said that correctly. So that was obviously a nice sign there. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, not a whole lot of offense in this one. Two runs on five hits. So things not going well for them. Things not going well for the Kansas City Royals offense. So I will say that Brad Keller provided a good start for them, but it just wasn't enough as the Twins knock him off by a count of 2-0. to zero. In this one, Brad Keller, absolutely terrific. Seven innings pitch. He gives up three hits, no earned runs. But then from there, Jake Diekman winds up giving up Two runs in the eighth inning. That was the difference as the Minnesota Twins got a home run off the bat of Mitch Garver, his 11th home run of the year. And Kyle Gibson was nothing short of magic in this one. Eight innings pitch. He gives up just two hits. And then from there, they were able to get a save out of Taylor Rogers. So things went really well for the Minnesota Twins there. Not necessarily in regards to the offense, but they just had great pitching. As for the Kansas City Royals, they just had two total hits in this game. So, obviously, the offense was not there for them. Biggest underdog of the day that wound up cashing was the Seattle Mariners as they take down the Oakland A's by kind of 9-2. couple unlikely sources that came up with some offense for the Seattle Mariners, and the biggest was Malik Smith. His fourth home run of the year that came off of Aaron Brooks. Failed starter is now reliever for the Oakland A's. He goes two innings, gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including that home run. Wei-Chung Wong has actually been a decent reliever for the A's, but in this one, he records four outs while giving up two runs, including a home run. That one was to Omar Navarez. For Navarez, that is his 10th home run of the year as the Mariners, I believe, have the third most home runs in the league out of the catcher spot. And then Chris Bass at the start in this one for the A's. He winds up giving up four runs, three of which were earned in five and two-thirds innings. And for the Seattle Mariners, got to give it to Marco Gonzalez. Seven innings pitch. 
He gives up one earned run, two runs in total. And then from there, they were able to actually get some decent relief pitching as Matt Festa gives his team an inning of relief. And then also coming in for a clean inning was Austin Adams. So some very good signs there. And for the Oakland A's, they were able to get seven hits in this one, but they weren't able to drive them around, leaving nine men on base. For the LA Dodgers, it was a little bit of a rocky start in this one, but once again, they win at home. They're now 26-7 and at home thanks to their 5-3 win. For the Chicago Cubs, they got to Rich Hill early. Chris Bryant, his 15th home run of the year. That came in the third inning. And then in the first, Anthony Rizzo, his 18th home run of the year. As the Chicago Cubs put up two in the first inning, one in the third inning. And then from there, Rich Hill was nails. He goes seven innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including those two home runs. But then Pedro Baez and Kenley Jansen closed the door for him. And for the LA Dodgers, they also had some power in this one as Getting his seventh home run of the year was Justin Turner. Has not had the power numbers of the past, but has certainly been a good bat in the lineup. And then Matt Beattie winds up going deep for his first stinger of the year. As for the Chicago Cubs, they just are not getting the same Kyle Hendricks on the road as they are at home. In four and a third innings, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including those two home runs. But a good sign for the team is the fact that the relief pitching from there goes three and two-thirds innings. They don't give up a single run, including Kyle Ryan and Brad Brock. Both guys that have really been struggling for this team. And Mike Montgomery and Pedro Strope, both have ERAs above a 4.62. So take it where you can get it if you're the Chicago Cubs. Outside of the St. Louis Cardinals, it wasn't a good day in general for the NL Central. As the Milwaukee Brewers go on the road against the San Francisco Giants, and they wind up losing by a count of 5-3. to three. In this one, for the Milwaukee Brewers, it was Zach Davies who didn't necessarily give his best start. Five innings pitch, gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. As for the San Francisco Giants, going deep off of them was... Kevin Pillar for his eighth home run of the year, and the Kung Fu Panda, Pablo Sandoval, his ninth home run of the year. Mikey Strumsky would go deep off of Alex Claudio as well for his second. And for the Giants, they wind up getting another good start out of Drew Pomeranz. He goes five innings, though he did give up two runs. None of them were earned, and Mark Melanson actually gave up the lone earned run of the game for the San Francisco Giants out of the bullpen as Reyes, Maranta, Sam Dice, and Will Smith also delivered flawless innings for this team. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a squad that just squandered opportunities all game long. They had men on base, but they left 11 on. And then the bullpen also didn't necessarily do the job as Matt Alberts and Alex Claudio both gave up a run out of the bullpen as well. And this game is still ongoing. Just reached the end of the 11th inning. It is 11-11 between the San Diego Padres and the Colorado Rockies. This game was one of the biggest gas cannings you'll ever see in your life. If the Colorado Rockies don't win this, it'll be one of the biggest comebacks you'll ever see. The San Diego Padres were down going into the ninth inning by a count of 11-5, and they put a six spot up in the ninth inning as just absolutely unbelievable. The Colorado Rockies wind up getting actually a good start from Jeff Hoffman. Jeff Hoffman has been on my fade list, but he goes five innings, he gives up one run. That one run was a home run to Hunter Renfro, who would go deep in that ninth inning for his 19th and 20th home runs of the year, but I mean, the bullpen of this team, Jad Bettis, gives up two runs while recording two outs. You had Cesar Estevez go one inning. He gives up a run. Also going one inning and giving up a run, Jake McGee, who entered with an ERA below one. It is now a 1-6-9, but the guys that really did them in, Wade Davis gives up two runs in the ninth inning, and then Mike Dunn records one out and gives up four runs. Just absolutely insane. As for the San Diego Padres, they did not get a whole lot out of Cal Quantrill and company. Cal Quantrill gets a start in this one. He goes five innings, gives up four runs, all of which were earned. 
Miguel Diaz had entered into this game not giving up a single run. He records two outs while giving up five. So his ERA went from 0 to a 7-11, which means that he went from being flawless to being open to giving up runs 24-7. And then Matt Whistler also gives up two runs in one and a third innings. But from there, the San Diego Padres have been holding down the fort, and they were able to get some offense in this one also from Manny Machado, his 13th home run of the year. And then for the Colorado Rockies, They've had a display of power in this one as well as Ian Desmond, his eighth home run of the year, and David Dahl, his seventh. So, what did we learn on this Friday? So many bad bullpens out there in the big leagues. The Colorado Rockies have become a bad one. The New York Mets are looking atrocious. The LA Angels have a bad bullpen. The Detroit Tigers can't hold a lead. The Miami Marlins bullpen stinks. Heck, even the Philadelphia Phillies have become a really bad bullpen. The Toronto Blue Jays now have an awful bullpen. The Chicago Cubs might be improving with their bullpen a little bit. But the Oakland A's are showing some chinks in the armor as well. But for the Seattle Mariners, they continue to play overs. The Milwaukee Brewers just had a little bit of an odd result against the San Francisco Giants. The LA Dodgers continue to be dominant at home. The Tampa Bay Rays continue to win games by two-plus runs. 38 of their 42 wins now of the two-plus run variety. Mad Max Scherzer looks to be a guy that you could bet on once again. The Boston Red Sox just are still pulverizing the Baltimore Orioles, who also have a bad bullpen. The Detroit Tigers are a team that you have to take overs with just because the other team is hitting them so hard. The Pittsburgh Pirates continue to play overs. The Texas Rangers appear to have some improved pitching, and you've got to be betting on Lucas Giolito at this point. He looks like an AL Cy Young Award winner. And the Houston Astros seem to be getting a lot of offense going, despite the fact that they are without a lot of their trustworthy bats. And Brad Keller, even though he took the loss for the Kansas City Royals, looked pretty darn solid out there as well. So that was Friday. Now let's take a little bit more of a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, and let's take a look at the AL East pitcher in general, Rich Hollenberg of the Tampa Bay Rays TV network and also ESPN's college basketball coverage is going to be joining me next. And that is right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Some of you guys may recognize this last name because he appeared with me a few times on College Hoops Overtime Betting. But this gentleman does a terrific job doing some work with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's actually at the Rays Stadium right now. You can follow him on Twitter, at Rich on Sports. It is Rich Hollenberg, and he is a very proud Syracuse alum and a man that is tied into a little bit of everything. And Rich, how are you doing on this fine day? That was a tremendous intro, Greg. It's great to be with you as always. And it's great to have you on, and it's great that you're right now at Tropicana Field because I do have a little bit of a question about that. The Tampa Bay Rays have been very good at home, no doubt, but this team is terrific on the road. And then whenever I watch Tampa Bay Rays games, it just feels like there aren't a lot of fans in the stands, which always befuddles me because I think that you'd agree. This team is absolutely terrific. Why do you think that is? Because I obviously know that there are some logistical issues with getting to the stadium and everything, but I just wish there'd be more fans in the stands because the Rays are just putting out their tremendous product. Yeah, it's always been an issue, and it's been ongoing basically since this franchise came into existence 22 years ago when they started in 1998. I just think this is a a more difficult market than maybe some of the other markets around Major League Baseball to draw fans on a consistent basis. It's not a problem that happens game in, game out for 81 games of a 162-game schedule, Greg. But obviously, there are more times 
than maybe some other teams where it shows out that you're surprised, especially when the team was in first place for a large chunk of the first part of the season. They're still right behind the Yankees in, in the chase for first place in the AL East. And you'd love to see more fans in the stands. Last year, they had a dominant home record in baseball and were one of the best teams in the American League in terms of home games, wins, and losses. And they didn't draw that many fans also. They've perennially been in the bottom few teams in the league in terms of attendance. I just think the weather, the outside factors of being in Florida with how many options you have all year round, and the fact that this is much more of a tourism state than it is a homegrown state, if you will. I think all those factors play into the fact that the Rays don't draw as well as some of the other teams. Now, with that said, Greg, this last home series that they had against the Oakland A's, which are not that exciting a draw around Major League Baseball, they drew around 15,000 people for those for that three-game series, and that is not bad. One thing I'm always quick to point out, and this is not you know, to pick on other teams either. If you watch baseball games during the week, say Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that type of time, you'll see plenty of empty seats all around baseball. Basically, the only ones that are exempt from that are Fenway Park, Wrigley Field, and Dodger Stadium. But if I'm watching any other game on any other network on TV, I see lots and lots of empty seats. So it's not just a problem for the Tampa Bay Rays. I think it's a if you're going to make it sound like it's terrible, then every team has to look at itself, save for the ones that I just talked about, because there's always going to be empty seats. Now, you have a weekend series, that's a different story. You have a compelling draw like the Yankees or the Red Sox, and you're not getting people to come see those games, that's a problem. The Rays have not had those issues. They always draw 20,000 plus when the Yankees and Red Sox and other top tier teams like that are in town. It's just those other games that they have issues with. And Personally, for one, I happen to be a big fan of Tropicana Field. It's not the stadium that is the problem. Yeah, if you're trying to increase your fan base, you want to be more centrally located in the geological or the geographic area. So that would mean a move to Tampa would be probably the smartest thing for the Rays to hopefully draw more fans. But I don't think a new stadium is going to be the end-all, be-all solution to getting an increase in attendance for Rays games. I just think that it's the nature of where you are and who you're dealing with because you have as many transient fans that are coming to the games as you do homegrown Rays fans. I was at the first game, Greg, in 1998, and I was still in my 20s when that happened. Now I have kids, and guess what? My kids are now born into being Tampa Bay Rays fans, but I didn't grow up a Rays fan, so now this generation is finally starting to come into its own where they're starting to have children, which would then lead to, let me think about maybe buying season tickets or some type of a package to get out to more games. I think the number will go up. I don't think there's going to be any sharp increase, but I think the number will start seeing a steady rise because it's a generational thing that's taking place, and we're right in the forefront of that next generation of homegrown Rays fans. Yes, we do have Rich Holmberg joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And taking a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, they're right now in the midst of a series against the LA Angels. And something I've noticed with the Tampa Bay Rays is that they're actually using the opener a little bit less. Jalen Beeks always has an opener going from, typically it's Ryan Stanek, but I'm noticing that Yoni Chirinos and Ryan Yarbrough, they're no longer having an opener go for them. 
Why do you think this is? Because both these guys are delivering great starts now that they don't have an opener going from, and they were both tremendous whenever they did have an opener going from. Is it just the fact that Kevin Cash has a little bit more faith in these guys now than he did, say, last year around this time? Greg, to be honest with you, I think the majority of the reason has to do with the injury to Tyler Glass now. A while back, he was pitching like the best pitcher in all of baseball. When Glass now went down, that left Kevin Cash with two regular rotation guys, one being Charlie Morton, who might be the hottest pitcher in the American League right now, and the other being Blake Snell, who's the reigning Cy Young. So you probably have the best one-two punch as far as starting pitchers, but they were lacking that third starter that they went into the season with. Because of that, they were almost forced to put Yanni Chirinos and Ryan Yarbrough back into that starter's role. Now, I'm not saying forced like they don't deserve to be there. They absolutely do. They are starters by nature, and they were put into the role of bolt guys because that's just the Rays' philosophy of doing things starting last year, and it's worked well for them. And what it also does, Greg, is it sort of protects those players and helps them develop a little bit more of a major league rhythm without throwing them to the wolves, quote-unquote. I also think that it helps the openers, like Ryan Stanek, develop a feel for being a one- or two-inning pitch pitcher and at some point graduating, using Kevin Cash's word, to a late-inning role coming out of the bullpen. It's all about banking outs with the Tampa Bay Rays. They value the first three to six outs as much as they value outs in the eighth to ninth inning, and what they want to do with the bulk guys is get a power arm up in the first inning and maybe the second inning to take care of the first three to six in the batting order, which ostensibly are always the most dangerous bats, and then let the bulk guy come in and handle four to maybe five innings where they're starting off with the bottom of the order instead of the top of the order. So it really makes sense when you dig into it a little bit and figure out how and why they're doing it. The Rays happen to have a deep enough pitching staff that they could pull it off where maybe some other teams might not be built that way right now. But believe me, you're going to see other teams doing it more regularly. You're already starting to see some teams experiment with it. The Texas Rangers have. I know there are a couple of teams in the American League that have, and I think you're only going to be seeing more and more of it, and it's certainly not going away with the Tampa Bay Rays. It has nothing to do with confidence, though. Kevin Cash has the utmost confidence in Yanni and in Ryan Yarbrough, and they paid off that confidence in their last couple of starts, but the reason they're back into that traditional starter role is only because of Tyler Glasnow's injury earlier in the season. And we have seen about like eight different teams, I think it is, try an opener at some point this year. It's been really interesting, and what else I love about the Tampa Bay Rays is that this team just puts up runs in bunches, it feels like. They'll have a lot of innings where they'll just come up a little bit dry, but they're always working the pitch count, and then they'll just explode for three-plus runs. I've been noting this on my podcast all year long. Of the team's first 41 wins of the year, 37 have been by multiple runs. It means that the Rays are just winning games convincingly whenever they win games. What do you attribute this to? Because I do feel like a big reason for this is the fact that they got back Austin Meadows, a man that spent a little bit of time on the injured list. And I would argue he's been one of the best players out there in baseball so far this year, but just doesn't get the recognition of some of these other sluggers. Yeah, well, luckily, Austin Meadows at the first tally was third among AL outfielders in all-star voting. And that that made all of us around here and around this organization feel really good that he was being recognized for his outstanding play because... We get to see him every day, and there's nothing he can't do offensively. He's a tremendous athlete. He's got a great eye, a picture-perfect swing. He hits for power. He's got some speed on the base paths. 
He is playing like every bit the all-star, but I think this is one of the deepest and thickest lineups in all of baseball. And the reason they're able to score runs in bunches is because they don't have that traditional 30-plus home run guy. But you know what they're going to have, Greg? They're going to have five guys who are going to hit 20 home runs. They already have four who are in double digits. Tommy Pham hit his ninth the other day, so he'll be in double digits. That'll be five guys in double-digit home runs already, and we're not even near halfway through the season. I think the Rays' offensive philosophy is, you know, we'd rather have five, maybe even six guys hit 20-plus home runs than one guy who hits 45 home runs. They don't have that guy on their roster right now, although I wouldn't be surprised if they're snooping around for maybe a right-handed power bat. But that said, their lineup right now is really frisky, one through nine. And when you get that wraparound effect and get to Austin Meadows maybe five times in a game instead of four times in a game, you're ultimately going to score more runs and win a lot more games. I totally agree with you as Rich Hollenberg is joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, obviously they are right there in the AL East hunt. The Yankees are right now in the lead. They've done a great job of being able to cope with injuries. But how do you see this AL East picture playing out? Because right now when I take a look at this division, I could easily see three teams from this division making the playoffs. I do think that the Rays and the Boston Red Sox might be able to end up as both those wildcard teams with the Yankees being able to win the division. How do you think that this plays out? Because I do think that these three teams just have such a big advantage over the two lesser teams in the division, the Toronto Blue Jays and the Baltimore Orioles, who have just been so beat up. But all three of these teams, I just feel like, have top to bottom a very quality team. Yeah, you might be right in the long run. And if only because the AL Central and the AL West seem to be so down this year. I mean, the Houston Astros are dynamite. They might be the best team in baseball right now. The Minnesota Twins took three or four from the Rays here at Tropicana Field not too long ago. So after seeing them up close and personal, I could testify how good they are, and they'll be good for the long haul. They have everything you need to be a playoff team. They have power. They hit for average. Their pitching staff right now is among the best in baseball. So I think those two teams are running away with their divisions. It'll be tough for any of the other teams in those two divisions to win enough games to make it into contention for a wild card. So with that said, your point of maybe the Rays and the Red Sox being the wild card representatives, it's not too far-fetched. And if that was to happen, then I think it's a good thing for the Rays because right now the Rays have proven, even though they lost the first three games to the Red Sox, they've dominated them in the next six games. The Red Sox are down. You keep waiting for them to come back. It looked for a little bit like they had turned the corner, but they didn't. And the Rays took three or four from them just last week at Fenway Park. This is a pitching staff for the Red Sox that has a lot of question marks. Their offense has been a little bit beat up and banged up, and they're not getting near the production at the top of the order as they did last year from MVP Mookie Betts. So there are a lot of question marks with the Red Sox, but there are enough positives with that team that it would be hard for me to pick any other team outside of Boston to be the second wildcard team, assuming that the Rays would be counted as that first wildcard team. Same here. I just cannot see a team like the Texas Rangers being the wild card. Maybe the Cleveland Indians, but at the same time, the Cleveland Indians offense has been very lackadaisical to say the least. And Rich, I think that we would both agree that we're not seeing a lot of very good pitching around the majors so far this year. You're treated to some very good pitching with the Tampa Bay Rays. I know that sometimes the bullpen can be a little bit of a letdown, but we've seen that across the league so far this year. What has been your thoughts on this 2019 season in general? Just because 
I feel like walks are way up no matter where you look. And also the home run ball is way up, even though strikeouts are as well. It's just been a really weird year. And I know that so many people are complaining that there might be a little bit of a juice ball and everything like that. And I think there might be a little bit of something to it. Yeah, I never get into those conversations about juice balls or extra honed bats or whatever that is. That's way above my pay grade, Greg. But what I will say is the value that has been placed on certain aspects of the game has led the offense to kind of taking the forefront from pitching. That usually ends up balancing itself out. The pendulum will usually swing back to try to level the playing field, if you will, at some point in time. But this year, I mean, it looks like Major League Baseball is on a record home run pace again. And they just did that a couple of years ago. Everyone's so quick to point out the three true outcomes in a baseball game, home run, strikeout, or walk. And you mentioned all of those. I've seen a ton of strikeouts along with a lot of walks and a lot of home runs. And if that's where baseball is going, sooner than later, pitching will catch up to it, whether it's the dimensions of the field altered or anything like that. But it's all about power in baseball right now. And it's not just power exit velo. It's power arms. And like you said, I've been treated to seeing some of the best pitching day in and day out. The Rays have the best ERA in all of Major League Baseball. And I see Ryan Stanek come out and open a game throwing 99. And then I see Blake Snell pumping 97 mile an hour heaters and 12-6 curveball on the heels of that. I mean, I see the effect that velo and spin rate have on the game. And ultimately, that will play itself out where those type of pitchers will become more plentiful. Unfortunately, that was the end of the interview with Rich Hollenberg. Unfortunately, there were some bad storms in the area, and then from there, he had to cover a big-time press conference with the manager because, well, let's face it, the obligations of Rich Hollenberg extend a little bit more than MLB overtime betting, but for Rich Hollenberg, I will give him a plug. He does terrific work with ESPN's college basketball coverage. He also is doing some great work with the Tampa Bay Rays. He does mostly their studio work, but he's always there in between games, doing the post game, everything like that for them. You can follow him on Twitter at Rich on Sports. He's based out there in Florida, and he does terrific work. So a big thanks to him for joining the podcast. And coming up next, I do give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. A big thanks to Rich Hollenberg doing some tremendous work with the Tampa Bay Rays for joining me in the last segment. As we're back here in the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting, now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that some of these plays are all locked in, good to go, everything like that. Some of these plays, we're in wait and see mode. I will keep you guys 
updated as I go. And as always, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. And all official numbers I get on the pending plays will be posted up on my Twitter feed as well, at GDNRSquarty1. And it all starts with game 951-952 on the bank rotation. You've got the Milwaukee Brewers, and they are on the road facing off against the San Francisco Giants. It is Jimmy Nelson going on the bump for the Milwaukee Brewers. Meanwhile, Mad Bum, Madison Bumgarner, goes for the San Francisco Giants. If you're taking a look at the Milwaukee Brewers, you're going to be getting anywhere between an even price to a little bit of a plus price. They are anywhere between minus 107 to even. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it here with the San Francisco Giants, same sort of deal. Anywhere between minus 110 and the lowest I'm seeing is minus 105. Total on this game is 8. The under is minus 120. The over is even across the board. And we saw Jimmy Nelson in his first start of the year really get shellacked by the Miami Marlins. That was a game in which Miami Marlins won as over a $2 underdog. He's got a 12 ERA, but if you take a look to his last season in the MLB, that was back in 2017. This guy was actually one of the top 10 vote getters in regards to the Cy Young. He had his season cut short, but all in all that season, he was terrific. 12-6 and six record, 349 ERA. You gotta think that he got some of the kinks out of him, and he has the pleasure of being able to go up against a San Francisco Giants team that Let's face it, they're not hitting very well. Right now, as a collective, they are hitting 222, and Jimmy Nelson is going to be backed up by a team that is absolutely breaking right now, and it all starts with Christian Yelich. For Yelich, he enters into Friday's action with a 345 average, 25 home runs, 54 RBI, and 14 stolen bases. There's nothing this man cannot do. You've also got Mike Moussakis, who's hit 21 home runs, 278 average. Yasmani Grandel has belted out 15 home runs to go with his average, which is hovering right around to 280. Ryan Braun is hitting 270 with his 14 home runs. Lorenzo Cain's been a little bit of a letdown. He's hitting just 250, and he hasn't provided the pop so far this year. Asus Aguiar, Manny Pina, both hitting below the Mendoza line along with Travis Shaw, but Orlando RC at the bottom of the lineup has done a solid job hitting a 250. Hernan Perez, a 265, and Big Gamble is hitting right around a 250 whenever he's in the fold. Meanwhile, with the San Francisco Giants, Pablo Sandoval is probably your best hitter right now. 275 average with 8 home runs and 131 at-bats. That's actually decent. Brandon Belt, 9 home runs, 250 average. I guess that's okay. And then Brandon Crawford and Kevin Pillar both hitting below 215. Steven Juger, Joe Panic, Buster Posey, Evan Longoria. All these guys are hitting between a 234 and a 255. And none of these guys are really pounding out the home runs with the San Francisco Giants. I will say they do have some good relievers, guys like Will Smith and Sam Dyson and company have done a solid job for them. But for with the Milwaukee Brewers, you're also noticing guys like Jeremy Jeffries and company are really stepping up. And you always have to know that Josh Hader is available for a save as well. So the, obviously that's big. The Milwaukee Brewers will likely need to go through their bullpen quite a bit because I don't think Jimmy Nelson's going to give them quite a bit of length. But Madison Bumgarner, also not the same pitcher they once was. 87 innings pitch. He's given up 13 home runs despite the fact that his home ballpark is out there in San Francisco. So it's good command, only 17 walks, but a 383 ERA, a 3-6 and six record, and I think the Milwaukee Brewers get to him in this spot. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Milwaukee Brewers on the over. I'm in wait and see mode because I'm seeing a little bit of steam coming in on Mad Bum and the under, but we're going to be riding both of those. Meanwhile, we go to 953-954 on the banging rotation. The Washington Nationals play also the Arizona Diamondbacks. Taylor Clark goes for the Diamondbacks. Meanwhile, Steven Strasburg goes for the Nationals. Your total on this game is 9.5. The under is minus 120 across the board. The over is even. If you're looking at the Diamondbacks, going to be getting a pretty big plus price here. Anywhere between plus 180 and plus 185 if you want to lay it here with the Nats. That's between minus $2 and minus 210 
the Arizona Diamondbacks are getting this crazy price despite the fact that they have now won six out of their last eight games. I know that the offense was slowed down a little bit by Mad Max Scherzer, but all in all, you've got an Arizona Diamondbacks team that's been doing a terrific job on offense. And it all starts with Eduardo Escobar. 294 average, 17 home runs, 56 RBI. He has been sensational for this team. You've got Cattell Marte, who's doing a little bit of everything for this team. If you take a look at his average, it's a 277. The RBI certainly has been there. He has pounded out 47 of them to go with his 17 home runs. David Peralta's not hitting for as much power as he did last year, but still a 291 average. That's going to get the job done. You've also got Adam Jones with his double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting a 279. We saw Kevin Crone have quite a few home runs in that series against the Toronto Blue Jays a while back. Kelly and Nick Ahmad both hitting right in the realm of a 265 Ryan Dyson in that neighborhood as well, and he's one of the top base healers out there in baseball. Christian Walker has been sort of in and out of the lineup, but he seems to be picking it up as well. He's hitting just below 250 to go with the double-digit amount of home runs. And then you take a look at the Washington Nationals. They've been playing a lot of overs lately, and it's because they've got their bats finally healthy. Anthony Rendon is hitting 315. Meanwhile, Juan Soto a 285 with Soto. 10 home runs, 40 RBI. For Mr. Rendon, he leads the team with 15 home runs and 48 RBI. Victor Robles' average could use a little bit of help along with Michael A. Taylor. Both these guys hitting below a 235. And Brian Dozier has been doing better lately, but he's still hitting a 228 himself. Very silently, Howie Kendrick hitting 323, 12 home runs, 41 RBI. Trey Turner hitting a 286 himself, so he's done a good job of getting on base. But we also know this about the Washington Nationals. That bullpen, dead last in regards to ERA out there in the league. They've been doing a little bit better recently, but you can still have no faith in it. And with Steven Strasburg, he just sometimes has some brain farts of starts. 7-3 record, 3-3-6 ERA, in 91 innings pitch, he's allowed 8 home runs and he's got 110 punch outs, so he's getting just below 11 strikeouts per 9 innings, but you just take a look at him from time to time, he has his lapses. I know that he got the win against the Chicago White Sox a few weeks ago, but he gave up 5 runs in that game. Against the Milwaukee Brewers, he gave up 4 runs on May 7th as well. You just have times where you don't know what you're going to get in with Taylor Clark. Obviously not the most redeeming qualities of the starter. In 25 and two-thirds innings, he's given up five home runs, 526 ERA, 140 whip. But a lot of that was because he had that bad start in Coors Field. When you get him away from Coors Field, he's actually been solid. So for that reason, going to take the value here with the hot team with the Arizona Diamondbacks and the under. The under I'm in weight C-mode since it's right now heavily juiced. And I'd like to see if the Arizona Diamondbacks are able to get a little bit of a better price here too. But we're going to be riding both of those. We move on to 955, 956 on the betting rotation. We've got some fun names to say here as it is the Pittsburgh Pirates on the road facing off against the Miami Marlins. Pablo Lopez goes for the Miami Marlins. Dario Agrazil goes for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Mr. Agrazil making his first career start. Yes, I just want to keep saying that last name. And I also want to keep talking about this game because right now we are seeing a total out there of eight. The over and under both at minus 110. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Miami Marlins, going to be laying some juice here. That is anywhere between minus 124 and minus 126. Plus price here with the Buckos, anywhere between plus 110 and plus 116. This is a spot where I actually do have to take a look at the Miami Marlins. I will say that Mr. Agrazil has been decent at the AAA level so far this year. He has a 4-2 record. His ERA is hovering right around a 3-3, so you actually do have some redeeming qualities there. You have no redeeming qualities with this Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen. I know that they were able to pitch a shutout against the Miami Marlins yesterday, but with Mr. Agrazil, I'm just not sure how many innings he's going to be able to go in this contest. You take a look at what he did in the AAA level. 
He had eight total starts, and he went 49 in the third inning. So that tells you that he's not necessarily going the deepest. He could probably give you five, maybe six innings if you're lucky, but he's not necessarily a length guy. He's not much of a swing and miss guy. He's got 7.1 punch outs per nine innings at that lower level. I will also say this. Great command. 1.8 walks per nine innings. I will give him that. Some redeeming qualities there. Well, you take a look at the recent starts for Mr. Pablo Lopez. He's been terrific. Two starts in the month of June. He's allowed one run, a, a combined 12 innings. He's been terrific. Yet, heck, you even go back to his last start in the month of May. Six innings against the San Francisco Giants. He gives up one run. The start before that against the Nationals, he gave up four. But even before then, against the New York Mets, seven innings pitch, does not give up a single run. If you want to take this even further, in four out of his last six starts, he's given up one run or fewer. That's pretty darn impressive. And I will say, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is a team that's lighting the world on fire with regards to overs. The only team that's played more overs so far this year in baseball is the Seattle Mariners. And it all starts with Josh Bell. 320 average, 19 home runs, 61 RBI. He has been a man possessed for this team. You've also got Melky Cabrera. Now, he has certainly been in and out of the lineup, so you want to be checking in on his status. But whenever he's been in there, he's been doing a very terrific job of being able to get on base for this team. He's hitting right around a 320. You've got Kevin Newman hitting a 314. Brian Reynolds, a 364. Sterling Marte has really been able to turn it on for this team as well. Now a double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting just below a 290. Colin Moran now has 10 home runs. He's hitting 275. Elias Diaz is hitting 270 at the catcher spot. Corey Dickerson ever since coming off the injury list has upped his average. Adam Frazier sitting at 265 as well. So a lot of things going right for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Meanwhile, with the Miami Marlins, you've got some struggling bats out there with Russell Herrera, Austin Dean, Curtis Granderson, and JT Riddle all hitting 215 or lower. Miguel Rojas is hitting a 273 though. Jorge Alfaro has also done a nice job. Nine home runs. He's hitting 270. He's been able to provide a couple RBI as well with 26. Harold Ramirez, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, is hitting a 303. Brett Anderson at 245. But you can tell this team has missed. Neil Walker, he was hitting right around a 280, 290 before he went on the injured list. Garrett Cooper is picking it up with his 295 average, but Cyril and Castro leaves something to be desired with his 230 average. And I just mentioned how bad the Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen is. Miami Marlins, bottom five team in regards to bullpen ERA, and we all remember the blown save that Sergio Romo had last Sunday when he gave up four runs in the ninth inning against the Atlanta Braves. Can have absolutely no faith there. The Pittsburgh Pirates overs have been cashing like crazy. And I do think that this is a spot where the Miami Marlins actually will get a very good start from Pablo Lopez. They're going to be able to get to the young pitcher. I do think that Mr. Agrazil going to have a good start. But I think the bullpen from there lets him down. And I think the Marlins bullpen gives up a couple runs here. But I'm on the Miami Marlins because I do think that Lopez provides a better start. And I'm going to be taking this total over. I'm a Wayne Seamode on the over, but I've already locked in the Miami Marlins. 9.57, 9.58 on the bang rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals are on the road facing off against the New York Mets. Noah Thor Syndergaard goes for the Mets. Michael Waka 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 goes for the St. Louis Cardinals. Total on this game is 8.5. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is between minus 105. And even if you're looking at the St. Louis Cardinals, you are going to be getting a plus price here between plus 130 and plus 135 if you want to lay it here with the New York Mets. That's anywhere between minus 143 and minus 145. I do think that this is a little bit of an intriguing game, but I really like what I've seen out of the St. Louis Cardinals recently. You take a look at what they were able to do yesterday. They were able to get to the bullpen. Jersich Familia, still Spanish for blown save, and you can have absolutely no 
no faith whatsoever in this New York Mets bullpen. And Noah Syndergaard just has not been himself so far this year. 4-4 record, 4-4-5 ERA. He's giving up right around one home run per nine innings, but he's just lending himself to a little bit of contact in general. Meanwhile, Michael Waka certainly has not been himself with a 5.63 ERA. Those record would not indicate it. He's actually got a 4-2 record. What I will say is that in his last start against the Miami Marlins, looked very solid. Six innings pitch, did not give up a single run. Maybe going to the bullpen is exactly what he needed because he is now doing a little bit of a better job for this team. The month of May for him was just absolutely atrocious. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's given up 12 home runs in his last 56 innings, but what I will say for the St. Louis Cardinals is that it looks like the bats are all back online, and it starts with Marcel Ozuna. 260 average. He has 18 home runs, 55 RBI. Paul DeYoung has been able to go deep quite a bit for this team as well. He's hitting 270. He's been able to pound out 12 home runs for this team. Colton Wong was able to hit a home run yesterday. He had been slumping a little bit. That is obviously a big confidence booster for him. You're noticing that Harrison Bader has his average back to a 240. Dexter Fowler is slumping, but he's still hitting a 243. You've got Yadier Molina back in the fold. He's hitting a 265. Paul Goldschmidt in a little bit of a funk himself. He's now hitting a 261, but he still has 12 home runs. And then Matt Carpenter hitting just a 222, but he has been able to supply a little bit of power himself. Meanwhile, you take a look at the New York Mets. They're doing a good job with Jeff McNeil at the leadoff spot. 337 average for him. You also do have Juan Lagares, though. He is hitting below the Mendoza line. Carlos Gomez has not been providing the team a lot. He's hitting just above 200 at a 211. Denny Echeverria is hitting at 245. Todd Frazier is hitting at 253. You just have a lot of guys hitting between a 250 and a 260 for this team. Pete Alonso is one of them. He's hitting at 259, but you know what? Those 22 home runs of 50 RBI, they help offset for that a little bit. Michael Conforto hitting 257. He's got 13 home runs. J.D. Davis is hitting a 261 for this team. Wilson Ramos a 273, but he's been in and out of the lineup all year long in the mid Rosario 245. But what I will say for the St. Louis Cardinals, even though they've had they had to use a lot of their bullpen arms yesterday, they still do have a much, much better bullpen. Guys like Jordan Hicks and company, much more trustworthy than Mr. Familia, Robbie Gazelman and company. And I do think that we're going to see quite a few runs in this game because the bullpen of the Mets has been so shaky. So going to ride with the Cardinals on the plus price and the over. I've already locked in the over on this game and I'm in Wayne C mode as to what plus price I'm going to get with the St. Louis Cardinals. We move on to 959-960 on the bank rotation. It is the Atlanta Braves and they play also the Philadelphia Phillies. Aaron Supernola goes for the Phillies. Sean Newcomb for the Atlanta Braves. Your total on this game is 9. The under is minus 115 across the board and the over is minus 105. Seeing a lot of equal totals across the board tonight. A little bit weird, but oh well, we will take it as the Atlanta Braves. Currently a slight favorite in this game. They are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, if you want the Philadelphia Phillies, you're going to be getting anywhere between even and minus 105 as well. And this is a spot where I certainly do have to take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. I know that Aaron Nola has been a little bit shaky in his last couple starts, but he did look good towards the end of the month of May, and then it really was that one bad inning against the San Diego Padres in his first start in the month of June that was his undoing. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Atlanta Braves. Sean Newcomb has been doing a very good job as a little bit more of a long reliever out there in the bullpen for the team, but this is a gentleman that really has not started a lot of games so far this year, and in his starts, he just didn't really look solid. You don't know whether you're going to get good Sean Newcomb or if you're going to get bad Sean Newcomb because this is a guy that I don't think has really went more than two innings since the month of April. And in the month of April, 
when he wound up pitching against the New York Mets on the 13th, he gave up four runs in one and a third innings. It's just very mysterious what you're going to get out of him, and if he can't provide them a lot of length, you have to rely on a bunch of long guys for the Atlanta Braves, and they do have some decent bullpen arms. Duki Toussaint has been okay for this team. Josh Tomlin has been okay, but I'm saying okay because they're very, very average. Meanwhile, with the Philadelphia Phillies, I would say the same for a lot of their bullpen guys. Guys like Hector Neris, Pat Neshek, they all get the job done, but they're not necessarily terrific. But Aaron Nola, despite the fact that he has a 458 ERA, he's gotten tremendous run support so far this year, 6-1 record. He's given up 11 home runs at 60 in 76 and two-thirds innings, but he has also got 86 strikeouts, so 34 walks are a little bit high. And you got to think that the Atlanta Braves, the team that has been the hottest in regards to scoring runs in regards to the month of June, are going to be able to hang a couple in this game. Freddie Freeman hit his 19th home run of the year yesterday. He's hitting above 300 for the squad. He's also pounded out the RBI with 48 of them. Ozzy Albies has been doing a terrific job of just getting on base 280 average. Brian McCann, a 280 average. Austin Riley hitting a 288 for the team. And in about four weeks up at the show, he's got 10 home runs for the squad. That's obviously been good. Josh Donaldson has 10 dingers, but his average is at just a 236. Ronald Cunha Jr., 15 home runs, 287 average. Dansby Swanson has pounded out 13 home runs ago with his 263 average. You're noticing that Nick Barkakis is struggling a little bit, but he's still hitting a 275 and that. You've got guys like Charlie Culberson. They're able to do a good job of being able to give this team some solid at-bats. But then you take a look at the Phillies. I do like what I'm seeing out of Scott Kingery. He's got eight home runs and a limited amount of at-bats. 330 average. Gene Segura at the top lineup is hitting a 285. Bryce Harper is hitting just a 250, but he's got 12 home runs. He had another one yesterday. Jay Bruce has been terrific ever since he came over with his team. He has 19 home runs for the year, five of which have been in with the Philadelphia Phillies in just over a week and a half. Reese Hoskins has been in a little bit of an outage with regards to the home runs, but he's got a 273 average. He has went deep 15 ta- times for this team so far this year. You are noticing that Cesar Hernandez is dipping with the average. That is now at a 260, but then you've got Sean Rodriguez who's upped his average to a 255 as well. JT Riamito hitting a 275 as well. So all in all, I do think that the Philadelphia Phillies have a bit of a pitching advantage here, so that is why I have locked in the price with them. And I do think that both pitchers are going to be giving up some runs, and both these bullpens are okay but not great. So for that reason, going to be taking a look at the total over as well. Just want to see where the juice shakes out on the over on this one. We move on to 961-962 on the bank rotation. The San Diego Padres are in Colorado to face off against the Rockies. Herman Marquez goes for the Colorado Rockies. Eric Lauer for the San Diego Padres. Your total on this game is 11. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is between even and minus 105. We're seeing a couple of 11 halves out there as well. These are all the same. The under is just a minus 120. The over is even. If you're taking a look at the San Diego Padres, going to be getting a pretty nice plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 153 and plus 165. If you'd like to lay a deer with the Colorado Rockies, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 167 and minus 180. Marquez has been very good for this Colorado Rockies team so far this year, but then you do take a look at Eric Lauer. I know he's been a little bit more touched up recently, but there was a stretch where Eric Lauer was doing a very good job for this team. 5-5 five and five record. 414 ERA. He doesn't necessarily have the greatest swing and miss stuff. He gave up three runs in his last start to the Washington Nationals. But before that start, in each of his past four starts, he had given up just one run in each of them. Meanwhile, Herman Marquez, 6-3 record, 419 ERA. I will say he is lending himself to hard contact. 96 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 13 home runs. We remember the start that he had a few weeks ago at Wrigley Field. He wound up giving up eight runs 
all of which were earned in that one. And then against the Cubs in his next start, he winds up giving up four runs in six innings. Eric Lauer actually looks better in his recent format with the San Diego Padres. They're hitting just 232 as a collective, but they do have a bunch of guys that are bopping with the bats. Eric Hosmer has been doing a very solid job of being able to get on base with his team. 10 home runs, 41 RBI. His average is hovering between a 280 and a 285. You've got Famiel Reyes. Average is not necessarily the best. It's hovering right in the 240 range along with Hunter Renfro's, but with Hunter Renfro and Femmeo Reyes both have 19 home runs. Ian Kinsler hitting just 215, but that is actually heading northward. Austin Hedges hitting below the Mendoza line is bad, and Will Myers hitting just a 227 is awful, but then you do also have Manny Machado. Seems to be coming around a little bit with the bat 245 average. Now what do you expect from a $300 million man, but he does have now 12 home runs. Josh Naylor hitting a 225 stinks, but Fernando Tatis Jr. being back at the top of the lineup also helps. He has a 305 average. He's hitting nearly a home run in every 15 at-bats. Meanwhile, with the Colorado Rockies, you do have a lot of guys that like to mash as well. David Dahl, 332 average. You've got another man with a very good average in Nolan Arenado. He actually got the day off yesterday, which I do think is intriguing, but for the year, 328 average. 57 RBI, 18 home runs. We all know what he's able to do. Charlie Blackman at the top of the lineup is hitting above 300 as well. He has been terrific. I will say, though, Remiel Tapia seems to be falling back to earth with his average. He is now hitting a 256. Ryan McMahon a 235. Brendan Rodgers, a 230. Tony Walters has really been one of the saviors for the team, hitting above 300. And Trevor Story has really been writing some great chapters this year. He is hitting right around a 285. He has tacked on 16 home runs ago with 46 RBI of his own. So, obviously, that's going well. And Daniel Murphy and Ian Desmond have been setting their averages northward. But I do think that Eric Lauer is going to be able to provide a very good start here for the San Diego Padres. And I do think that we're going to get a little bit of a lower-scoring game in regards to Coors Field metrics because the San Diego Padres don't necessarily have the best average, but they are able to rip some solo home runs. So for that reason, on the Padres and the under in the spot, I'm a Wayne C mode on the Padres since I'm seeing a little bit of steam coming in on the Rockies, but I've already locked in this total under. 963, 964 on the bag rotation. The LA Dodgers play OC Chicago Cubs. You Darvish goes for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Walker Bueller for the LA Dodgers. Total on this game is 8. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like the LA Dodgers, that price just keeps climbing up and up and up. Laying anywhere between minus 175 and minus 190. Plus price here with the Chicago Cubs is anywhere between plus 160 and plus 173. And it's actually updating as I do this podcast. And this is a spot where I know that you Darvish has pitched a little bit better recently but I still have absolutely no faith in him whatsoever. And with Walker Buehler, he has been throwing some gems as of late. You take a look at Walker Buehler, 3-3-5 ERA, 7-1 record, whip below one in 75 and a third innings. He has given up eight home runs and 13 walks. Pretty darn stellar. You Darvish actually has good swing and miss stuff. He's got right around 10 punch outs per nine innings. 72 and a third innings, 81 strikeouts, but he's also given up 44 walks. That's nearly five home run. That's nearly five walks per nine innings, and 13 home runs allowed as well. That's why his ERA is a 4.98, a 148 WHIP. We also know this about both these teams. The LA Dodgers don't have a trustworthy bullpen with guys like Yimi Garcia, Caleb Ferguson, and company. And with the Chicago Cubs, Kyle Ryan, Brad Brock, they have both been letting this team down in a big way. And with the Dodgers, you've got that man Cody Bellinger heading into Friday. 22 home runs, 358 average, 57 RBI. Oh, yeah, it's nice that you have a guy in Jock Peterson that at the top of the lineup has also been doing a terrific job for this team. With Jock Peterson, he has pounded out 18 home runs to go with his 241 average Alex Verdugo and Jester Turner. 
both hitting above 300 for the squad. Max Muncy has been a man possessed recently. This is a guy that has right around six home runs over the past week. He's got a batting average that is 278, and he's pounded out 16 home runs so far this year. I will say that Chris Taylor and Kike Hernandez leaving something to be desired with the bat. Both these guys hitting 220 or lower, but even Russell Martin, whenever he gets a chance at the catcher spot, hitting a 280. Meanwhile, with the Chicago Cubs, you gotta love what you're seeing out of so many of the power bats of this team. Anthony Rizzo hits his 18th home run of the year yesterday. He's got a 283 average. Javi Baez hitting just below 300. He's pounded out 17 home runs. Wilson Contreras has been very good whenever he's been in the lineup. Nearly a 280 average with 13 home runs. And then Victor Garantini does terrific whenever he's in the fold as well. Kyle Schwarber not doing it with the average, but it's climbing upward. Nearly a 240 for him. He's got 15 home runs. Chris Bryant has been pounding it out as well. 273 average. 14 home runs of his own. Jason Hayward has his average back up to a 260 as well. Albert Almora Jr. and Addison Russell both hitting between a 240 and a 245. But I just have a little bit more faith here in Walker Buehler to provide a good start than you Darvish. I do think that you Darvish is going to get blown up. So looking at the Dodgers on the run line and the over in the spot with the over, I'm in Wayne Simo to see where the juice shakes out. And with the Dodgers run line, seeing anywhere between a plus 110 and plus 115 with the Dodgers team seemingly coming in right now, I'm probably going to be locking in that Dodgers run line as soon as I get done with this podcast. Game 965-966 on the bang rotation. You've got the Tampa Bay Rays and they are playing host to the LA Angels. For the LA Angels, Juan Suarez goes for them. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, Charlie Morton takes the mound. The total on this game is 8, and it is the same across the board. The under has juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're taking a look at the LA Angels, well, you know what? You're going to be getting a pretty nifty plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 185 and plus 177. Meanwhile, if you want to lay with the Tampa Bay Rays, anywhere between minus 210 and minus 194. This is a spot where I do have to trust in Charlie Morton. Over his last 21 starts, he has not lost a single decision. Things were on the fritz a little bit for the Tampa Bay Rays yesterday, but then they rattle off nine straight runs to be able to rectify that. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, you've just got a bunch of guys that really know their role. And it all starts with Austin Meadows. I know that Austin Meadows has been getting a couple days off with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's been in and out of the lineup a little bit, but he has been absolutely terrific for them. 322 average. He's been able to pound out the home runs. He's got 12 of them on the year. Tommy Pham has been terrific with the average as well, along with Avicio Garcia. Avicio Garcia hitting a 299. Tommy Pham a 294. And then with Mr. Garcia, he's got 11 home runs so far this year. G-Man Choi now has eight home runs. He's hitting nearly a 290. Willie Adamas hitting 245. Daniel Robertson and the catcher spot in general leave a little bit of something to be desired. And then yesterday, they wound up having to give a start to Joey Wendell, who's hitting well below the Mendoza line, but then you also have Guillermo Heredia, who's been a little bit of a surprise for this team. He's hitting a 250. Kevin Kiermaier, a 256. And then if you look on the flip side for the LA Angels, their bullpen just has really been letting them down. They gave up eight runs in essentially their first two innings of relief yesterday. That was not good for this team, and you've got a couple bats towards the bottom of the lineup that are leaving a little bit of something to be desired. Cole Calhoun, Jonathan Lucroy, Wilfredo Tovar, and Luis Rangifo all hitting a 234 or lower. I will say for Cole Calhoun, he has pounded out 14 home runs for the team so far this year. Cesar Puello in very limited at-bats is hitting 400. And Albert Poole, so he's only hitting a 234, has a double-digit round of home runs as well. But not having Tommy LaSalle in the lineup yesterday certainly hurt them. He's a gentleman that's got a double-digit round of home runs. He's hitting above 300. You all know what Mike Trout is able to do. He's got a 286 average. 
He has pounded out 18 home runs. Shohei Otani was able to hit for the cycle a couple days ago. He's got a 282 average. Power seems to be back for him. And Daniel Fletcher is hitting above a 300. But with Charlie Morton, this guy has just been lights out all year long. He has not lost a start, like I said, in his last 21. 8-0 record, 210 ERA. 81 and a third innings. He's given up just four home runs, 98 strikeouts, 29 walks is a little bit high. But you look at Juan Suarez, this is just not a fair fight. He's had two starts so far, 10 and a third innings. He's given up two home runs. The 10 punch outs are not bad, but he's given up nearly four and a half walks per nine innings. This is a guy that really was not impressive at the AAA level, and he's backed up by a bullpen that really, really stinks. Heck, if you take a look, Brandon Lowe might be coming back to the lineup tomorrow. He's been in and out of the lineup the next couple days as well. If you get his 288 average with 14 home runs back in there, it really becomes an unfair fight. This is a spot where I just have to take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line, and I do have to take a look at this total over. I just think that the Tampa Bay Rays, even if they do get Charlie Morton, who gives up zero or one runs, I just think that they're going to just pound Juan Suarez and that bullpen into the ground. Right now with the Tampa Bay Rays run line, I'm seeing it at between minus 105 and minus 110. We'd like to see if I'm able to get even juice, and I'm waiting to see where this total shakes out at. Maybe I'll be able to get even on the juice instead of minus 105. 967, 968 is next on the bang rotation. The Boston Red Sox head on the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Dylan Mundy goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Chris Sale for the Boston Red Sox. Right now, the money is coming in on the Boston Red Sox as the price on them anywhere between minus 270 and minus $3 at Caesars. Wow. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Baltimore Orioles, well, you're getting a nice plus price here. That's anywhere between plus 230 and plus 250. Drawing this game is 8.5. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is between minus 105 and minus 110. I feel like such a schmuck here, but Operation Fade Chris Sale is back in full effect. If you take a look at just about any metric, covers, odd shark, any of them, Chris Sale, one of the bottom 10 pitchers in regards to making you money among starters so far this year, and it's not necessarily his fault. He's got a 2-7 record despite a 3.52 ERA, a whip below one. He's got 120 strikeouts in 84 and a third innings, but yet it just feels like whenever he's on the mound, there's just a whole bunch of fielding errors, and it feels like the bullpen just always lets him down in every game. Guys like Marcus Walden, Matt Barnes and company, they'll pitch good four out of five days, but when Chris Sale's on the mound, he just seems to get shelled. And I actually like what I've seen out of Dylan Bundy recently. 3-7 and seven record, but he's got a 4.50 ERA. He's done a good job of being able to get strikeouts. I know that he's given up a lot of hard contact. I'll get to that in a minute. He's given up five runs in a total of 11 innings so far this month. But you take a look at the month of May. He gave up a grand total of nine runs while going five-plus innings in every one of those starts. He's actually begun to put it together. The 15 home runs and 70 innings. Obviously an issue. And with the Boston Red Sox, they were just able to match the Baltimore Orioles yesterday. You take a look at what J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts are doing. It's very impressive. Xander Bogarts, 295 average, 14 home runs. J.D. Martinez now hitting above a 300. He's pounded out 15 home runs. You got to like what you're seeing there as the Boston Red Sox. We're just hitting the Baltimore Orioles left, right, and sideways yesterday, but... With the Red Sox, you've also got Michael Chavis, who's now hitting a 253 for this team. He's got 12 home runs on the year. You do have a couple famine bats. I will say that. Jackie Bradley Jr., Eduardo Nunez, and 
Sandy Leon all hitting below 230 for the team, but Christian Vasquez hitting at 289, Brock Holt at 288. You've even got Rafael Devers hitting above a 300. Mookie Betts was out of the lineup yesterday. He's been struggling a little bit, but you got to think that that's going to elevate them. But with the Baltimore Orioles, Trey Mancini, 305 average with 15 home runs. He's been good. Hanser Alberto, he's hitting 302 for the team. Pedro Severino had a three home run game a few days ago against the Texas Rangers. Renato Nunez hitting just a 240, but 16 home runs. He's able to pound him out there. Jonathan VR gets on base. He's hitting a 251. Antonio Santander is hitting 367 in a limited amount of bat bats. You do have the famine bats as well. Chris Davis, Keon Broxton, Richie Martin, all hitting below a 185, and C.V. Wilkerson now hitting a 221, and Rio Ruiz 228 as well. But with the Baltimore Orioles, I do think that they're going to be able to get to Chris Sale. Chris Sale, a man that's actually lent himself to a little bit of hard contact, 84 and a third innings. He's given up 11 home runs, and I think they get into that bullpen. I'm going to be crazy for it, and when the Orioles lose by 100 runs, I'm going to look like a moron, but we're taking the Orioles, and we're taking the over. Right now, Wayne Seamode said Steam is coming in all on the under and the Boston Red Sox at this point, so in Wayne Seamode there, but we're going to be riding up both of those. As we go to 969-970 on the betting rotation, the Houston Astros play host the Toronto Blue Jays. Clayton Richard goes for the Toronto Blue Jays. Fanbar Valdez goes for the Astros. If you're looking at the Astros... Once again, laying a hefty premium here. Anywhere between minus 210 and minus 225. The plus price here with the Toronto Blue Jays continues to climb. It is anywhere between plus 185 and plus 195. The total on this game is 9 and it's consistent across the board. Over is minus 120. The under is even. The Toronto Blue Jays got blasted into a Oblivion yesterday. They got the bases loaded in the first inning and then from there, they weren't able to do much. And with Clayton Richard... He has not had necessarily the best start to the year. 0-2 record, 7-4 ERA. He actually did look decent when he started against the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees, though. In those starts, he went a combined 8 and 2 thirds innings, and he gave up three runs. He struggled badly in his last start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, but this is a man that actually does a decent job of being able to limit the hard contact. His big problem is walks. 15 and a third innings. He's given up 11 walks so far this year. But with Fanbar Valdez... Got a 273 RA, but he's not necessarily a man that's going to go deep. And we've noticed with the Houston Astros, they have been a little bit leaky with guys like Chris Davinsky and company out there in the bullpen. And we note that last time Valdez took the mound, this team lost to the Baltimore Orioles. So that is something that you really do want to note. And with the Houston Astros, we all know that they've got quite a few guys on the injured list. Jose Altuve, George Springer, still on the fold. And then you just don't know what's going on with Carlos Correa after he Fractures a rib due to a massage, but I will say for the Houston Astros, they are still obviously getting some very good contributions. Alex Bregman, it's his 19th home run of the year yesterday. He's hitting a 272 with Michael Brantley. He has been doing a terrific job of getting on base, 313 average. He has pounded out 10 home runs so far this year. You've also got Jordan Alvarez, who's got three home runs in essentially a week for this team, hitting a 385 now. But I will say Robinson Chirinos, despite the fact that last week he had a streak where he had Four home runs in four games. Only in a 238. Josh Reddick has his average back below a 300. Tyler White is hitting a 220. Jake Marizic was in the fold yesterday, but he's only hitting a 245. Tony Kemp is hitting a 242. So you do have some famine bats out there. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, they've been a little bit hit or miss, but Kevin Vigio a couple days ago had a two home run game. Vlad Guerrero Jr. seems to be picking up. His average is now just below a 270 to go with his seven home runs. Eric Sogard is hitting a 275. Lord Guerrero nearly a 280. Rowdy Tolez only hitting a 222, but he had 
had a grand slam a couple of days ago against the Baltimore Orioles, 10 dingers on the year. Justin Spoke and Randall Gritchick both have been letting the team down in regards to average. When you take a look at Justin Spoke, he's hitting at 226 and Gritchick right in that same neighborhood as well. But both these men have a double digit amount of home runs. Freddie Galvis is hitting at 240. That's been bad. And then you have Brandon Drury hitting at 220. And- the catcher spot in general for this team has been a dump as the Toronto Blue Jays for the year are hitting 222 as a collective, but I actually do think that Clayton Richard is going to be able to hold the Houston Astros at bay. I do think that the good relievers for the Toronto Blue Jays come out in this one because we saw all the bad ones yesterday when they gave up 15-plus runs to the Astros, and I do think that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to get to Fanbar Valdez and win a lower-scoring game. So for that reason, going to be riding the under and the Toronto Blue Jays in Wayne C mode on both these numbers, but we're going to be riding it. 971-972 on the bang rotation. This is a game that's currently off the board as the Cleveland Indians are on the road facing off against the Detroit Tigers. For the Detroit Tigers, they have yet to determine their pitcher. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Indians, Shane Bieber fever. This game is currently off the board, and I can tell you right now, probably going to be looking at the run line of the Cleveland Indians and this total over. It was just absolutely impressive what the Cleveland Indians were able to do to the helpless Detroit Tigers yesterday. And for the Detroit Tigers, you got to think that someone stupid is going to get the start in this one. Someone like Gregory Soto or something. They should be calling up Casey Mize, but this organization just has absolutely no idea what they're doing with their pitching. And with the Cleveland Indians, you've got the bats that have found it thanks to awful pitching. Jake Bowers winds up hitting for the cycle yesterday. Jake Bowers for the year is hitting 222, And the Detroit Tigers made him look like he was Carl Ustremski. It was absolutely insane. Leonis Martin is hitting a 206, But Roberto Perez now hitting a 238, Mike Freeman a 235, Jason Kipnis and Jose Ramirez both hitting below a 215. But when you go up against the Detroit Tigers pitching, you should essentially be raising your numbers by about 100. Francisco Lindor has been all sorts of terrific for the team so far this year, hitting above 300. He has pounded out 11 home runs. Orlando Mercado, a 281 average. Carlos Santana, 289 average. He has a double-digit amount of home runs for this team, and we're seeing the Cleveland Indians really start to click as their bullpen is also one of the best out there in baseball. And Shane Bieber, I know he's been roughed up a little bit in his past few starts, but all in all, he's been pretty good. The 407 ERA needs to come down, and that's a result of the hard contact that he's giving up. That he's giving up 16 home runs in 77 and a third innings, and a lot of that has been recently. You take a look at his last start against the New York Yankees. He gives up five runs in one and two-thirds innings, but before then, he gives up two runs against the Minnesota Twins. He gives up six runs against the Boston Red Sox in a start that he wins, and then in his two starts previous, he had a complete game shutout against the Baltimore Orioles and then gives up one run against the Tampa Bay Rays. So he's been a little bit of a zigzag pitcher. And for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that is doing a little bit of a better job with the bat, but they still leave a lot to be desired. Jacoby Jones is hitting above 250 and he's got eight home runs on the year. Brandon Dixon, 288 average to go with his seven home runs. Miguel Cabrera has done a nice job of getting on base, 286 average. He now has four home runs. Christian Stewart has upped his average to a 241. Nico Goodrum hitting a 235. Harold Castro is hitting right around 245. He's coming back to earth. But then you have Dewell Lugo hitting a 232. And then you take a look. This is just a bunch of guys that are hitting right in the realm of about a 230-ish. Sands, Nick Cassianos is hitting a 260. And I just think that the Cleveland Indians are going to be able to get to whoever starts for the Detroit Tigers and this just awful Detroit Tigers bullpen. This is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the run line of the Cleveland Indians and the over. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNNRSquare81 in case of something crazy happens. 973 and 974 on the bank rotation. The Kansas City Royals are on the road facing off against the Minnesota Twins. Glenn Sparkman goes for the Royals. Jake Odori 
Parisi goes for the Twins. The total on this game is 9.5. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Plus price here on the under is anywhere between plus 105. And then you also have minus 105. If you're looking at the Kansas City Royals, well, you are in luck. You're going to be getting a plus price here between plus 195 and plus 215. If you'd like to lay it here with the Minnesota Twins, anywhere between minus 230 and minus 250. Jake Odorizzi, one of the best pitchers in regards to making you money so far this year. And Glenn Sparkman has actually been surprisingly decent for the Kansas City Royals. He's got a 1-2 record with a 358 ERA. This is a man that was just hit like a pinata last year, but now he's giving up less than one home run per nine innings. He's only giving up nine walks, 130 whip. Meanwhile, Jake Odorizzi, though, is just on a fair fight because in 70 and a third innings, he's only given up four home runs, 192 ERA. And with the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that is mashing in their first 68 games of the year, 133 home runs. And with the Kansas City Royals, they're still dealing with Hunter Dozier being on the 10-day injured list. They are getting quite a bit out of Jorge Soler. He is hitting 244, 17 home runs, 47 RBI. The guys at the top of the lineup are also doing their job. Adalberto Mondesi is right now leading the league in regards to stolen bases, though he has been out of the lineup the past couple days. You do want to note that. With Merrifield is hitting at 295, but then you've got the famine bets. Nicky Lopez, Lucas Duda, Cam Gallagher, Martin Maldonado, Billy Hamilton. All these guys are hitting a 228 or lower. Jorge Bonifacio made his Kansas City Royals debut yesterday. He didn't get a hit there. I will say that Chesler Cuthbert, ever since he's been called up to the big leagues, hitting above 300, he provides a little bit of pop. And Alex Gordon doing a decent job with his 271 average. But with the Minnesota Twins, you've just got a bunch of guys that are doing a great job. Mitch Garver's off the injured list. He had a home run yesterday for his 11th of the year. CJ Crone hitting a 271. He's got 15 home runs. Max Kepler at the top of the lineup had three home runs in a game last week against the Indians. He's got 16 on the year to go with his 265 average. Jorge Polanco, 335 average, double-digit amount of home runs. You now have Nelson Cruz in and out of the lineup. He's hitting right around 270, double-digit amount of home runs. Jonathan Scope, 12 home runs, 250 average. Ahir Adrianza is now hitting a 287. Miguel Sano is off the injured list. He's been hitting a home run right around every 15 or so at bats. Byron Buxton hitting a 266. Marwan Gonzalez, a 260. And then Eddie Rosario, for some reason, is hitting a 263 with 19 home runs at 52 RBI. It's absolutely sensational. The Twins have been up and down with their bullpen, but I certainly think that they're going to be able to pump out a good performance here against a helpless Kansas City Royals team. And I do think that the Royals bullpen is really going to get royally shafted in this one. The Royals are just a team that I think are going to come back to earth. I think that the bullpen is going to get shellacked, and I think the Minnesota Twins show their muscle in this one. Going to be riding the Twins on the run line in this one and the over with the Twins. Currently seeing a run line price of minus 125. Would like to lay a little bit less juice here. And with the over, would like to be able to lay a little bit less there as well. But we're going to be riding both of those as we move on to a couple games that are off the board. 975-976 on the regular rotation. You've got the New York Yankees, and they are on the road facing off against the Chicago White Sox. Ronaldo Lopez goes for the White Sox for the New York Yankees. To be determined, you got to think that this is going to be one that starts where they go to Chad Green and then they go with their wholesale approach. They're probably going to have someone like Chance Adams pitch a couple innings for this team. They're just going to have a whole mismatch of guys. And if that's the case, I'm going to be looking at this total over and I'm probably going to be looking at the New York Yankees. You take a look at Mr. Lopez. He's got a 4-6 and six record, but he shouldn't have that record. In 75 and a third innings, he's given up 18 home runs. That's right around 2.6, 2.7 home runs per nine innings, doing the math up and 34 walks. 
It just has not gone well for them. And with the New York Yankees, with their wholesale approach, they've been giving up right around three or four runs per game, but they have the firepower to be able to make up for it. And it all starts with Gary Sanchez and Luke Voigt. These two guys have a combined 37 home runs so, so far this year. Both these men hitting right around a 260-ish. You've got DJ LeMay, who's done a great job of setting the table. He's got a 310 average. Gio Urshela hitting 305. Clint Frazier and Glaber Torres both doing a terrific job with their average. Glaber Torres in a little bit of a power outage, but he's hitting 285 with 14 home runs. Clint Frazier, 11 home runs. He's hitting above 290 for this team. Mark Tockman has not been providing a lot along with Brett Gardner out there in the outfield. Both these guys hitting below a 230. And then you've got Austin Romine who's hitting below the Mendoza line whenever he gets a chance. Aaron Hicks also falling back to earth with his average with a 210. But you've got D.D. Gregorius back in the lineup in his first week back off the injured list. He's hitting above a 360. So some good signs there. And with the Chicago White Sox, they've got their bats working all of a sudden as well. Out there in the outfield, Lurie's Garcia and Charlie Tilson both hitting between a 270 and a 280. Eloy Jimenez has really gotten it going with the bat. Two home runs yesterday for 11 on the campaign. He's out hitting a 247. James McCann is hitting a 321. Jose Abreu has certainly been supplying some power for this team. 16 home runs, 52 RBI. He's hitting just below a 260. Tim Anderson is hitting a 320 for this team. You've got a couple guys that are lacking with regards to the average. Jose Rondon, Wellington Castillo, Yonder Alonso, and Ryan Cordell all hitting below a 220. But Yomer Sanchez now hitting a 255 for this team as well. And with the Chicago White Sox, I will say their bullpen is quite decent. They showed well yesterday. They've been showing well all year long, but I just have no faith and Lopez in the spot. I do think that the Yankees are going to put on a big display of power after Lucas Giolito held them at bay yesterday. So for that reason, could be riding with the Yankees most likely and the over, but as always, check back in the, in the morning on my Twitter feed, at GNRSquarity1 for set plays there. And this next game is also off the board, as we've got 977-978 on the bang rotation. It is the Oakland A's, and they are going to be playing host of the Seattle Mariners. Frankie Montas goes for the Oakland A's. Seattle Mariners, to be determined. It looks like it's going to be Wade LeBlanc, but you got to think that they're going to have an opener coming in from, which is why this game is currently off the board. And with Wade LeBlanc, he's actually been pretty easy whenever an opener has come in for him. In his first time with an opener coming in for him against the Houston Astros, he wound up pitching eight innings. He gave up one run. The opener gave up three runs. I think it was Corey Guerin, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But that obviously did not go well for him. And then his last time out against the Angels, he went six innings and he gave up two runs and got the win there. So he's actually been pitching quite decent whenever an opener comes in for him for the year in 42 and a third innings. He's given up nine home runs, but the Marine layer being out in Oakland, since this is going to be a 6.07 p.m. Pacific first pitch time, is going to help him out. But Frankie Montas has been just magical for the Oakland A's. I think he's given up one home run since taxes were due. That's pretty darn impressive. 284 ERA into record. 118 whip. 20 walks given out in 76 innings. It's done just all sorts of magic for this team. With the Oakland A's as well, Jeff Feigley has been terrific for this team. He's hitting right around a 260. He's pounded out eight home runs, 36 RBI. You take a look at what you're getting out of Matt Chapman as well. Chapman has been doing a nice job of being able to set the table for this team. 255 average, had a triple yesterday. 16 home runs, 36 RBI. Marcus Simeon at the top lineup is hitting a 275. Mark Canna's only hitting a 235, but you feel like that's trending in the right direction. Chris Davis has not been himself since the first couple weeks of the year, hitting a 245 with 14 home runs. But Chad Pinder's now hitting a 260. Matt Olson is hitting right around a home run for every 15 or so at bats. Ramon Loreno's hitting a 260. And then you got Jerickson Profire hitting just a 210. But with the Seattle Mariners, they're a little bit of an all-or-nothing team. Mac Williamson ceiling well below the Mendoza line. Malik Smith, a 221. You're not getting a lot out of some of these guys, but you are noticing that Omar Navarez and Tom Murphy at the catcher spot, they're both in terrific. Both these guys hitting above a 
275, and I believe that as a collective, they have the third most home runs at the catcher spot of any team so far this year. Daniel Vogelbach has been terrific with the average 265 to go with 17 home runs. Domingo Santana driving in all sorts of guys, 13 home runs, 49 RBI. He's hitting right around to 275. Kyle Seager, since coming off the injured list, has been hit or miss, but he's now hitting right around to 240. Tim Beckham really seeing a dive in his average. It's now a 235, but he still has a double-digit amount of home runs. And it helps that D. Gordon and J.P. Crawford are back at the fold. Both these guys are hitting above a 280, but I do think that this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the Oakland A's and an under. I do think that Wade LeBlanc delivers a good start, but I just cannot fade Montas in this spot. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1 once a line is posted. And we wrap things up with 979-980 on the bank rotation. It is the Cincinnati Reds, and they play host to the Texas Rangers. Mike Miner goes for the Texas Rangers. Tanner Rorick for the Cincinnati Reds. Your total on this game is 9. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is between minus 105 and even. If you're looking at the Rangers, you're going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 103 and plus 112 and climbing as we speak. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it here with the Cincinnati Reds, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 115 and minus 122. I don't understand why the prices continue to be so short on Mike Miner. He's one of the top three pitchers in regards to war out there in the big leagues. 252 ARA, 5-4 record in 89 and a third innings. He's given up just 9 home runs. 28 walks are a little bit high, but he's also got 93 punch outs. Meanwhile, Tanner Rorick has a 374 ERA. He has certainly looked a little bit better this year than he did last year, but in the month of June, he has not been very good. In his first two starts, he won a combined 11 innings, giving up 8 runs. He just hasn't looked good in recent form. He's not given up a lot of hard contact, though. In 67 and a third innings, he's allowed just 5 home runs, and I do think that both these guys are going to be able to deliver a good start. So I'm going to be taking this total under Joey Gall is still on the 10-day injured list, so that means that the Texas Rangers are lacking a little bit of something with regards to the bats, but you still do have a couple guys that are doing a great job of being able to get on base, and it all starts with Elvis Andrews. 308 average for him. You also got Sinchu Chu, who's done a nice job with his average. 282 average to go along with 11 home runs. You've also been getting a little bit of an interesting find with Tim Fedorowicz, who's hitting above 300 for the squad. You've also seen Azurbo Cabrera pick it up with his average. He's got a double-digit amount of four months, 250 average. You know Mazzara is hitting a 265. You do have a couple famine bats as well. Delino D. Shields Jr. hitting a 228. Hitting below the Mendoza line is Rudnad Odor and Jeff Mathis. Ronald Guzman is hitting only a 215, but you do have redeeming qualities with Logan Forsyth as well as hitting at 275. And with the Cincinnati Reds, they just have been back into famine mode with their bats. Yesterday against the Texas Rangers, Yasiel Puig wound up having three of the team's five hits. He's hitting just 222 on the year. I will say that he and so many others on the team are supplying some power. He's got a little. He's got 11 home runs. Meanwhile, Derek Diedrich has been on a little bit of a power outage recently, but he's hitting 236 to go with his 17 home runs. We all know that Eugenio Suarez does a bit of everything. 257 average, 15 home runs. And Joey Votto hitting a 257 as well. Nick Senzel 272 to go with his five home runs. And Jose Iglesias, a 294, but Tucker Barnard hitting below the Mendoza line. Jose Barraza, a 210. Jesse Winker, a 232. All these guys are certainly leaving something on the table along with Kyle Farmer's 220. I will say that with the Cincinnati Reds, they do outkick the Texas Rangers with regards to their bullpen, but I could see Mike Miner going 7-plus innings and being able to will the Rangers a victory. I'm currently seeing steam coming in on the Cincinnati Reds, so for that reason, I'm in wait-and-see mode on the Texas Rangers. I would like to be able to get a little bit of better juice on the under as well, but I'm going to be riding both 
both of those as that will do it for the Saturday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Rich Holmberg with the Tampa Bay Rays for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at unitrsquarty1, and let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.